Welcome to Married Life 911, Module 1. It's in your hands. Men and women tend to be equally bad at relationships, which means the health of your relationship is in your hands. If Married Life 911 is going to be a successful experience for you, there's two major foundations to a healthy marriage that you must understand. Let's cover the first right away, and this may be the best advice you're ever going to hear. Every couple who counsels with me does so with certain expectations, the number one of which is that they will get help in improving their relationship. The idea that you and your spouse can seek help in working on your relationship, though, is flawed because you've got it backwards. You see, the relationship is working on you. That's the way relationships are designed. Relationships are designed as people-growing machines, especially marriage. No other relationship will produce the possibilities for more joy, love, and connection, as well as frustration, disappointment, and anxiety. Although the relationship with your parents is capable of this, marriage provides a container for this, and marriage is chosen. Your family of origin is not. So to state this idea even more bluntly, you are the problem. Sometimes the most common element in all your most difficult relationships is you. What I'm talking about here is personal responsibility, or as it's referred to throughout this course, growing up. When couples get stressed out, they often point at each other as the reason for their problems, but this simply isn't true. This may be a major paradigm shift for, for many of you, and it's not a properly held position. It's much more fun to blame, and it's much easier to blame. But do you know of anything in life that's worth having that's easy? One of my favorite movies is The Matrix. The story of Thomas Anderson, or Neo as he's referred to in the movie, who works in a cubicle and lives a regular life until he meets Morpheus and he introduces him to the notion that the world around him isn't real. Similar to Morpheus's proposal to Neo, you're going to be presented with a blue pill or a red pill. If you take the blue pill, you'll participate in Married Life 911 on the surface. You may read the material, skim the activities and questions, but not actually do what's suggested. You may log on to the discussion boards, but not interact with other members. In other words, you'll largely continue with marriage and life as you have been, believing whatever you wish to believe while living unaware of the natural dynamics that are impacting you and your spouse. If you choose the red pill, hold on. Things are about to change. The way you view marriage will be different. While this view may not save your current relationship, because as you will learn, you're not in control of your spouse, you're only in control of yourself. The red pill opens your eyes to realities, not the fairy tale world where we always get what we want. Reality, or the red pill, will help you see more clearly where you stand in the relationship and with your spouse. The purpose of what you're reading and going through right now is not to save your marriage, although I hope and believe it can, nor is it to end your relationships. The purpose is to help you and your spouse become better people, and then to lean into the people-growing process of marriage. Marriage makes you better. Marriage forces you to stop thinking about only yourself and to seriously take into consideration the feelings and needs of someone else and someone else you really do care about. Marriage brings you face-to-face -face with your own shortcomings and failures. But marriage also offers the opportunity to go places that you can't go alone. So take heart. You can change things. The people-growing process of marriage is about change, and you possess all you need to change. All Married Life 911 is doing is providing you a paradigm and then a process for this change to occur. And the best news of all, this is entirely up to you. The greatest discoveries in history came when people stretched beyond their common beliefs and dared to imagine and to dream. 
Columbus's discovery of America went against the belief that the world was flat and nothing else was out there, but he set sail anyway. One reason problems in marriage never seem to get resolved is because the relationship becomes gridlocked. You get stuck. You stop thinking and you keep doing the same things over and over again. When this happens, your relationship cannot get free simply by thinking more about the problem. More thinking usually equals more stress, and frankly, more thinking is probably what got you to purchase Married Life 911 in the first place. So I want to challenge you to get more creative. Start thinking outside the box. The point of Married Life 911 is to do things differently, and this foundational principle is about you taking charge of your life and making it a priority to do things differently, or, as Columbus, to set sail anyway. I'm offering a radically different way to view everything in your relationship. Even though what you're learning is designed for marriage, this applies to all the other relationships in your life as well. Families, children, friends, co-workers. It's the building block to all healthy relationships. So what happens when we get stuck in gridlock? There's three common interlocking characteristics of any relationship that's become gridlocked. There's an unending treadmill of trying harder. There's an ans looking for answers rather than questions. And then there's either-or thinking that leads to ridiculous beliefs. Trying harder. Just like the fly that despise, despite its thousands of eyes continually bounces off the window it sees right through and gets nowhere, marriage can have similar moments. If you've been married any length of time, you've likely experienced this. It happens when one spouse keeps trying to change the other, or a parent keeps trying to change their children, or even managers keep trying to change employees. The treadmill of trying harder is driven by an assumption that failure or problems in relationships happen because somebody didn't try hard enough. You also cannot, cannot become unstuck simply by just trying harder. So just like its cousin, more thinking, which will be addressed in a minute, trying harder is useless. For a fundamental shift to occur, a new paradigm must be adopted. Trying harder is going to leave you out of breath and extremely frustrated. And when you feel frustrated, how do you think it's going to impact your marriage? Not very well. In this resource, the first step is personal responsibility. It's taking charge of the change process, not blaming, but putting your marriage in your hands. That's the right way to go. You put your energy, energy towards that, you won't regret it. Some people try harder by going for the proper technique. They try to read the right book, go to the most, most popular seminar, and follow the latest and greatest guru. As if they can only get enough information, then marriage would finally be better. This may actually even have what been what helped lead you to join Married Life 911. What this assumption of trying harder overlooks is the possibility of the other things that are at play. And, in fact, there's the possibility that there's actually nothing going wrong. What if married life was actually designed as a relationship that creates better people? A relationship that refines you? So the conflict you inevitably face and the tensions and frustrations you naturally feel are not only co-created, but they also serve a great purpose. They help each person in the relationship to grow up. So looking for answers rather than the questions. Couples stuck in gridlock relationships continually search for new answers to old questions. Instead, they need to learn how to start reframing the questions themselves. One thing I learned in my doctoral schooling was this. The questions are always more important than the answers. The way you frame the question or the problem will predetermine the range of answers you'll receive. In essence, it matters how you ask a question. Changing the way you word stuff actually impacts the relationship. This may seem semantic, but it works. 
Focus on the questions more than you do the answers. Here's an example. For several years, my wife and I, when, since we've had kids and they've been young, we adopted a no TV rule on weekday evenings. This allows us to spend more time as an evening family, with, as time with family, playing games, being outside, just hanging out together. But on the weekends, the TV would be on some sporting event almost all day. My wife would repeatedly make comments about how we needed to turn off the TV and go do things together, and I would repeatedly hear her comments and politely ignore them, knowing that deep down she'd give in or grow tired. That all changed, however, when re she reframed everything by saying, I've been frustrated by the amount of time spent watching sports on the weekends. So rather than asking you to turn off the TV, I'm going to start going and doing things I'm interested in. Sometimes I may take the kids, other times I won't, and they'll be your responsibility. You can join me or not, it's entirely up to you. So by her reframing the question from, how do I get my spouse to change, to how do I regulate myself, she not only found the family doing more things together, she also became more involved in helping others and in the community. Either or thinking. Either or, or black and white, all or nothing type of thinking will eventually destroy your ability to connect with each other. There's no room for a marriage for two people who refuse to allow each other the respect and the room to be different. How many times has your marriage ended up in this place, where the two of you took sides like on a courtroom and went, went to battle over an issue? Differences become intense, emotionally charged polarizations rather than simple differences of opinions. And followers of rigid systems will believe that there's something fundamentally wrong with the other person. When troubled couples have challenged the way they view things and experienced a breakthrough, Often, the issues over which they differed have not gone away. Rather, the two sides have become less reactive to the differences. They've stopped over-exaggerating their differences and they begin valuing each other. When you place high value on each other, the tension in the relationship naturally decreases because it's difficult to be angry towards someone you highly value. So growing up and truly putting this in your hands. You already know how I feel about growing up. And so far, we've t couched growing up in terms of personal responsibility. But growing up is also emotional maturity. And emotional maturity is two things. One, are you a thinker or a feeler, and how well balanced are you in both of these? As people will process the world around them through thinking or feeling or logic, reasoning, and feelings, the key to maturity is being able to balance them. For example, consider how you responded to a significant loss. Did you express yourself emotionally with log logic and reason being far from present? Or did you stuff your feelings and jump into the mode of logic and reason? Emotional maturity actually involves a higher order way of thinking. In the lesson, there's actually a, a, a diagram that explains this. Emotional maturity is the ability to choose how you want to respond. The key word here is choose. When you fully understand your ability to choose how you respond to any given circumstance, you can think or feel, or both really in either order, while being dominated by either. And then number two, it involves, it, this involves the balancing the drive for separateness, which is feeling compelled toward being independent and distinct, along with the drive for togetherness, which is feeling compelled toward connection and dependence. Again, we need both. We do not function well in complete isolation, which is why prisoners are put in solitary confinement, and we do not function well when we're drowning in the emotion of others. Feeling so overly connected that we want to run, like we have zero personal space, but we have preferences, just like we do with thinking and feeling. So which one are you? 
Do you struggle for separateness and independence, or do you need people who and are overly connected to them? Think of it this way. Go back to a time when you were feeling ill and at your worst. Did you want someone who, with you constantly, or are you the type of person who prefers to be left alone? So let me clarify something. None of these qualities are better or healthier than the other. Thinking is not better than feeling, and separateness is not better than togetherness, and vice versa. So what matters is how you use them, and balancing these biologically-based forces is better for everyone. And again, the key is balance. But to achieve balance, you need to take matters into your own hands. It's also worth realizing that just because you may or may not want to be touched when emotionally charged doesn't mean your spouse may not crave it. Or if your spouse wants to barricade themselves into their room when they're upset, you can't force yourself in there just because it would make you feel better to give them a hug. Forcing another person to meet your needs while dismissing theirs only damages the relationship. Allow me to repeat that sentence again. Forcing another person to meet your needs while dismissing theirs only damages the relationships. When you're emotionally mature and balanced, expressing these forces in healthy ways, meaningful relationships are created where both of you develop into better people. In essence, a marriage works more on the people involved than the people involved work on the marriage. The relationship that you have will impact you for the better. It will begin transforming you in productive, healthy ways instead of working against you. Growing up, simply put, is when you are better able to choose your responses in life. Your spouse does something to upset you, and so how are you going to respond? Which type is best going to serve you in the moment? Thinking, feeling, a combination of the two? A grown-up is better able to balance thinking and feeling and is more capable of balancing strong emotion and spontaneity with self-control and a level head. Emotionally mature people are also able to accept responsibility for their emotions without blaming others. One of the scariest aspects of marriage is that your spouse is separate beyond your control. They can behave however they like, and they can choose to do whatever they want. The more you mature you are, though, however, the greater your capacity to allow others the room to be themselves. You have the ability to invest in your spouse and the relationship without becoming dependent on either. A dependent person is not attractive. And I'm not meaning in a physical sense of the word, but in an emotional sense. Dependent people are hard to be attracted to because they are a lot of work. They're needy, and no one wants to be with a needy person. If this is something you're realizing about yourself, then take a deep breath and relax. It's going to be okay. We're breaking the bonds of this right now. And when you take back control in your life, the first thing to go is dependency or neediness. If you fall into the lower levels of growth, you have difficulty distinguishing between your thoughts and your feelings. Needy or dependent people have little autonomous identity. A less emotionally mature person is so flooded with feelings that he or she is almost incapable of objective thinking. They cannot think for themselves, and their every emotion is dependent on someone or something else. They're more vulnerable to stress, and they tend to have more life problems and are less flexible in attempting to solve the problems, especially during times of crisis, like the possible ending of a marriage or the discovery of a spouse's betrayal. In relationships, the lower the growth level, the higher the need for important or significant others to think, feel, and behave in certain ways. A partner's thoughts, actions, and even beliefs are viewed as a reflection of themselves rather than simply the belief of another person. This causes a tremendous amount of undue stress in the marriage, but it can be stopped once you put the health of the relationship back in your own hands. Let me give you another alternative. 
Imagine two people standing face to face about five feet apart from each other. Their arms are extended in front of themselves and they're leaning into one another, holding each other up. Together they create the letter A, which is pictured in the lesson in the module. If this, in this type of relationship, where's your focus going to be when it comes to your own stability, importance, value, and balance? The answer is your partner. Because your ability to remain upright and functioning depends on your partners propping you up and keeping you balanced. If they slip, stumble, move away, say something you don't like, or say something, or you say something that your partner doesn't like, or you choose to leave, you fall. So your focus winds up being completely on them and their feelings, their happiness, and their fear of, and the fear of their disapproval. It makes sense because if they no longer prop you up, or they're no longer capable of supporting you, then you risk falling. So here's an example of how this is playing out. A husband and wife are sitting in my office discussing their marriage. The husband is often frustrated. Well, actually, they both are. No matter what he's tried in the past, he's never seemed to find the right formula to keep his wife happy, in a good mood, and interested in sex. He's cautiously hopeful that there is indeed a way to understand women and to have the kind of relationship that he thought he would have when they first began dating. They're both in my office because neither one is really happy. Typically, they each believe that the other is the cause of their dissatisfaction. He believes that if she were different, everything would be okay. And she's convinced that if he would change, she would be happy. They see the, each other as the problem. But reality is, they're both wrong. Actually, it's not their fault. They're just doing what their parents did, or they're going to the exact opposite of what their parents did. They're using the relationship skills and defenses they learned while they were kids. She expects her husband to be like her girlfriends. He thinks she thinks like he does. She keeps trying to get him to talk. He keeps trying to get her to want more sex. They both mistakenly assume that they want the same things. So in essence, they're communicating in two different languages. All the while, their focus is on their spouse because their own balance in life is on their spouse being there for them and meeting their needs. So in Married Life 911, I'm going to take the focus off your spouse and put it squarely on your shoulders. And this requires standing on your own two feet. When you focus shifts to off of your spouse and onto yourself, there's a couple of things that happen. One, you take pressure off your spouse and their need to change. And two, you take charge of what you can control in the relationship, yourself. Insanity is doing more of the same and expecting different results. When most people are, aren't, what they're doing isn't working, they act insane. They keep doing more and more of the same. So most people feel frustrated by the inability to create and maintain the kind of passionate, satisfying relationship they so deeply crave. So due to fear, habit, self-limiting beliefs, and the application of a flawed model of relationship leadership, they trudge along doing the same old thing while magically expecting different results. Luckily, there's an antidote to all this insanity. When a person shows up in their intimate relationship, takes responsibility for setting the tone for himself or herself, and takes the lead for their own life with love and integrity, they and their spouse have the opportunity to experience what they both desire. By learning how to stand on your own two feet, your relationship possibilities become limitless. So this may seem counterintuitive to focus more on yourself in order to create a better relationship, but that's exactly how it happens. A couple who leans on each other can never get as close in their relationship as they probably want to. Think of the previous picture again where the couple is creating the letter A. How close can that couple get to each other? Not very. 
but when both partners stand on their own two feet, they can get as close as they choose. And again, there's another photo depicting this in our lesson. It is this idea and this process that we'll focus on throughout this experience. By growing up and taking the lead in your intimate relationship, your relationship will either grow and become more than you ever imagined, or it will crumble into dust and be swept away. Either way, the decision of whether to stay or leave is going to become a no-brainer. It is your job to become a better spouse, period. When you grow up, you allow your relationship to get to rejection quickly. This may sound like a bad thing, but trust me, it's not. Rejection is a normal part of any relationship. It means you care about each other because you've got your feelings hurt, and it matters to you. So the quicker you get there shows that you're not avoiding each other, and avoidance is one of the biggest killers of a marriage. In this way, you can clearly know what to do next. By the way, getting to rejection quickly doesn't mean you quickly decide to leave because of your spouse's rejection. It simply means you put more of yourself out there and become more present in your relationship. It's letting your wants and be known by making them a priority for you. When a couple gets to rejection quickly by growing up and being more honest and transparent, they experience a growth of passion and happiness with each other that they'd never thought possible. By taking responsibility for their own life and needs, they gave themselves, their spouse, and their relationship the chance to be all it could become. For years, I spent a tremendous amount of energy trying to avoid conflict and make my wife happy. I lived in fear of her moods and reactions. But after reading more about being a nice guy and the idea of getting to rejection, I decided to see what would happen if I were to lean into my fears and be completely honest and straightforward. Within just a couple of weeks of practicing this, my wife's stress levels and moods diminished considerably, while her desire and interest in sex increased. When tough times happen in marriage, and one or both of you find yourselves unhappy, no longer in love, or constantly fighting, growing up and leaning into the conflict is the quickest path to a clear answer. You can't think your way through this situation. You have to act your way through it. Because at the end of the day, married life is about decisions. Staying only marginally in and being lazy in the relationship and waiting for your partner to change or do something different is a cancer. Many couples coexist in smoldering unhappiness, resentment, and frustration for years. My wife have been there per and I have been there personally, and I've watched it over and over again professionally. Being only partway in kills the relationship and destroys the people involved. Unfortunately, people have the ability to inflict suffering on their partner and to tolerate their own suffering for years. This resource is going to show you how to blow up your relationship and give it a chance to be great. It will show you how to get to rejection quickly. And I'm going to challenge you to take the risk that either outcome may happen. No matter what your current relationship looks like, by growing up, you can step up and give it the chance to be all it can be. Here's what growing up is and isn't. It's about having your feelings without your feelings having you. Giving up your separateness in order to be together is just as defeating in the long run as it is giving up your relationship in order to maintain your separateness. Either way, you end up being less of a person with less of a relationship. Growing up requires work and is often confused with other ideas. So here's a few important clarifications. Growing up requires the ability to maintain a solid sense of self when your partner is away or your marriage isn't not currently what you hoped it would be. Growing up values contact, but it doesn't fall apart when you're alone. This is especially difficult during crisis in marriage, where it seems that the marriage may fall apart if you give up on it or let go. Growing up means you allow the relationship to take care of itself while you take care of you. So be honest, but don't force this. 
Be present and lead your life with love and integrity. Growing up does not involve any lack of feelings or emotions. Growing up means you can evaluate your emotions and your partners both subjectively and objectively. In other words, you can connect with your partner without fear of being swept away in their emotions. You can have your feelings without them having you because you, you, they don't control or define your sense of self. When people scream, I've got to be me, or I need space, or that's just the way I am, they're actually not grown up. In fact, it's just the opposite. When you're afraid you'll disappear in the relationship, you do things in order to avoid your partner's emotional engulfment. This is different than boundary setting, which is actually an important part of growing up. The difference is boundary setting while growing, while growing up is done in context of staying in the relationship or being in close proximity in a restricted space. The process of holding on to yourself in the midst of an important relationship is what creates growth. Growing up means becoming solid but flexible. When you have solid core beliefs and values, you can adapt and change without losing your identity. You can be influenced by others and adjust to new circumstances as the situations warrant. It's thus important to realize that this flexibility and sense of identity develops slowly over time. It requires soul-searching deliberation, and it's not simply adapting to the wishes of others. Your personal development is not selfish. You can choose to be guided by your partner's best interests, even at the price of your own agenda. This is often the price of committed relationships. Your partner is a separate individual, just like you. You can reach a point where what they want for themselves is, is as important to you as what you want for yourself. As you reach higher levels of growth, your view of conflict in relationships will dramatically shift. What I want for myself versus what I want for you shifts to what I want for myself versus my wanting for you what you want for yourself. So if you feel you need the need to talk your partner out of what he or she wants in order to get what you want, you lose. When things in marriage seem toughest, remember this statement. Whatever you're 100% responsible for, you're 100% responsible for it. If you're not 100% responsible for it, you're not at all responsible for it. So this begins and ends with you. My challenge to you. Growing up is the most courageous action you can take in any relationship situation. It challenges you to act with integrity and love. It forces you to grow and become your best self. It invites your spouse to do the same. It gives your relationship the opportunity to be to come all it can become. It reveals the truth in any situation. It gives you the information you need when it's time to make a decision about getting out. Great relationships don't happen by accident or luck. They're the result of people becoming conscious of how they get in their own way and discovering how to act with genuine love and integrity towards their spouse.